Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to have a lot of fun. If you've been around New Mercies at all, you know that families are a big part of Mercy Ships. We've already heard from some moms and some dads who volunteered on board, but today we get to hear from someone who grew up on board. From the time she was only six weeks old, Karis Parker lived aboard a Mercy Ships vessel, and she has a lot of amazing stories to share from her international childhood on a ship that she calls home. Here is my conversation with Karis Parker. Well, Karis, welcome to New Mercies. Thank you. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. I have to say you are probably one of the most unique guests that I've had on the podcast because there are certain questions I try to ask everyone that I don't think I'm going to be able to ask you. For example, I can't ask you when you first heard about Mercy Ships. I can't ask you why you chose to go volunteer with Mercy Ships because the truth is you've known about Mercy Ships your whole life. And it would be a little bit strange, some would say, to go volunteer in your own home. So, Karis, <laughs> for those who don't know you, why don't you go ahead and give us a little snapshot to your background and the unique life that you live? Yeah, I grew up on two ships, the Anastasis and the Africa Mercy. And I first came when I was six weeks old. My parents told me as soon as they could get my passport picture, oh I came over. And so I think my first country was Ghana. Yes, it was. And I was on the Anastasis for 12 years and then the Africa Mercy for all of my teenage years. Um, And yes, joined a very small group of ship kids who did the entirety of their schooling on the ship. Mm. And so graduated from the Mercy Ships Academy when I was 18 and then headed off for the (laughs) exciting, crazy journey of college and living in America for the first time. Ended up coming back because I missed it so much. Uh, I ended Mm. up coming back to the ship right after college to work as a chaplain intern. Uh, And then since then, that really has shaped the rest of my life thus far. I went on to study theology. I'm a hospital chaplain right now, hoping to come back to the ship one day. So the ship has shaped almost all of who I am. Sure. To come on board at six weeks old and (laughs) then stay until you're 18 Tell us a little bit about what do you do in hospital chaplaincy and where specifically are you right now? Yeah, so I am living, I'm living in Seattle. I work in an adjacent city called Tacoma at St. Joseph's Medical Center, and I'm a hospital chaplain resident. And I've thought a lot about what do we do? It's Mm -hmm. kind of a diverse job, but basically I consider myself someone who holds people's stories, who helps them find meaning and support in normally the most tragic and trying times in their life. So sometimes I'm with patients who have been in the hospital for eight months and are just sick of it. Sometimes I'm with families who just lost their son in a car accident and wow. are trying to figure out where to go. Sometimes I'm with families who are saying goodbye to their their grandmothers, their mothers, their fathers. Um, and I'm there to, yeah, to create a space to, to bring God into the conversation, to bring hope, to bring healing, to just sit with the emotions. And so, so much of what I witnessed on the ship, as I was saying, really inspired me because I saw, I mean, grew up around crew who didn't just care about the physical, 
but the spiritual, the emotional. I mean, the holistic care of patients was so evident to me as a kid um, and obviously very inspiring. And so I always was drawn to the hospital and for so long didn't know what I could do as someone who was drawn to the hospital, but also much more interested in theology and, mm. and the spiritual side of things. And so was so excited when I found out there was this, this niche, this place where I could be in the medical field, but working in the, the category I feel most called to. And so, and even as I think of a lot of the kind of tense situations that can happen on the ship, I thank those situations for what has given me a calm in the emergency department in these really uh, situations of crisis that I face in the hospital. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I learned how to manage myself because of the ship, because of all of our fire drills of actual (laughs) fires we had of um, just all, all of our protocol and living in such a structured environment, I feel like that shaped me for this kind of work. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, not very many people can Mm -hmm. say they literally feel at home in a hospital, but (laughs) your home was in a hospital from the time you were tiny. What did your parents do that, you know, caused them to bring a newborn baby onto (laughs) a ship and stay for 18 years? What what do your parents do? Are, Are they still there? What? Yeah, that's a great question. They are. My, my mom is texting me right now from the ship. Oh. My phone up. Um, yeah. So my dad is a maxillofacial surgeon and the chief medical officer on the Africa Mercy right now. Okay. My mom, she worked in a lot of different departments. She was the DTS director for a while. She right now is working in hospital chaplaincy as the interim mm. manager. And um, so they met on the ship. They are one of the Mercy Ships love boat stories. And so I think that I don't think that they set out like planning to raise their family on the ship. I think they were just doing what they loved. And so naturally wanted to bring their children into that world where they met, where they loved working. And then they just took it one year at a time. And before they knew it, they had raised both of us on the ship and never left, Um, both my brother and I. And so, yes, so they are still there right now. And honestly, I feel I I had a conversation with my dad once and he talked about how he doesn't feel pressured to do that work. He wants to do that work until he isn't able to do it anymore. So probably got some, a few more years left. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Well, with such a unique growing up experience for you, share with us maybe one of your favorite childhood memories. What will always be one of my favorite childhood stories is the story of blessing. Um, She was a patient in Liberia and she was around, I think eight and I was 11. And I mean, her story is unique in itself, but I think the reason I I love that story is I I was always impacted by the hospital as a kid. I always wanted to go down there um, to see what my dad was doing, to go with my mom, to just be involved in that space. Cause it's surprisingly easy to live on the ship and not actually go down into our wards. Like there's just so much going on that you have to take intentional steps to be involved. But what happened with Blessing was I feel like that was the first story where um, our mission and goal as an organization became my own. Mm. Um, Before I went with my parents, I was a little nervous. I was always like, I don't know, I don't speak the language. What do I do? But one day my mom was like, there's this, there's this little girl and she's scared and she's nervous and she's downstairs. And it was during a time in my life on the ship as, as a ship kid, there's like seasons where there are tons of kids your age. And then there are seasons where there's like no one. Yeah. Um, and it was one of those seasons where I didn't have any friends. And she was like, she encouraged me, you know, you can, you can help each other right now. This isn't just you going down to bless her. I mean, you can bless each other. 
And so she encouraged me to go by myself. And that really started what would lead into my teenage years of this really incredible time making my home, as you said, in the hospital, Um, not just on the ship, but in the hospital. And it became this story of just two girls, like two equals, two little girls sitting in the hospital every day, painting rocks, playing games, learning each other's stories. And Blessing became one of my dearest friends because it was during our time in Liberia. So we were there for two years, which was a unique time to be back-to-back field services. Her story and her perseverance healed me in so many ways and inspired me as I was facing, you know, kind of lack of friends and feeling a little restless on the ship. Um, And even today, we're still in touch. And she just messaged me the other day to let me know she graduated nursing school. And she she decided to become a nurse because of her time on the ship. And she I guess I didn't say she had Noma. So she she had lost her lips. Can you tell us a little bit about what Noma is? It's a flesh eating disease um, that mainly preys on people whose immune systems are already very weak. And so uh, my dad told me most people die from it almost. Mm. I mean, not immediately, but very quickly and it's like five percent i should look up that fact but he said it's a very (laughs) it's a very small percentage that actually make it through but if you do survive the initial disease you normally lose a part of your your flesh normally like your cheek or your nose or your lips and so Mm -hmm. she lost her lips and so you know and you're only nine years old and you Mm -hmm. look so now scary and people don't want to talk to you and so to be with her during that season where she was literally getting my dad was building her new lips. She was learning to smile again, quite literally, um, was really moving. And to see how far she's come now after being so scared and feeling like she had to hide herself to now wanting to help people. And every time she sends me a picture, she's just smiling. Um, And so that her story, you know, I met her when I was 11. And it will always be one of my favorites, because I love that her name is Blessing, because she was one of the greatest blessings for me and continues to be. That is so beautiful. I love that. You know, when we talk a lot about families on the podcast, we've had some moms on board. You think sometimes that it's the parents that are using their professional skills to serve on board one of our ships, whether it's a doctor or um, a principal or, you know, someone in the academy. (laughs) The adults are serving and the kids are just kind of along for the ride. That's not true at all. The kids have Mm. such opportunity to serve as well. And I love how you, as an 11 year old, were able to go and really minister to this other little girl. And in return, she really touched your life as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Moved me in so many ways. And, and all of a sudden, I wasn't alone. I had friends. Like, that's what I loved about the hospital was they didn't become patients for me. They became my friends. And I think that's really a reflection of how Mercy Ships does the work that we do. We're not just there to do a job and get it done, but to care about the entirety of people's story stories, their, their humanity, to value their humanity. And, ah, and I love that. I, yeah. I, hope, I hope to keep in touch with her for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I think that's so beautiful that she was so radically impacted that now she's a nurse. And yeah, wants to serve. Cool? Oh, that is very, very cool. Yeah. So you said that after being on the Anastasis for yeah. kind of your childhood, you moved into yeah. your teenage years on the Africa Mercy. I did. I had a couple teenagers on board when we served on the ship. And so I know that being a teenager on board is a little bit different than being a little on board. Yes. <laughs> being a five-year-old <laughs> running around, it's so great. But when you're 13, 14, 15, it's a whole different experience. Tell us maybe <laughs> what is a favorite memory from your teenage years on board, as well as maybe what were some of the challenges being mm. a teenager? 
I laugh at that question because so many of my favorite stories probably involve the breaking ship rules, which I don't want to get in trouble for, <laughs> um, <laughs> but not, not bad ones. It's just, you know, like when you're a teenager and there's not a lot of other teenagers and you are, I don't want to say stuck on board because I think a lot of us wanted to be there or enjoyed being there, but you know, there is kind of that restlessness that begins to grow. And so we were so creative. I think something I will always cherish and, and miss about being a teenager on the ship is the creativity. Just the games we made up, capture the flag on the upper decks and and the, the skits and blind man's bluff in the hallways and the pranks. My gosh, I was oh, like, no. I, yeah, I, I apologize to everyone I pranked as a teenager. It was, it was, <laughs> it was insane. But um, yeah, I, I had fake bugs. I had electric uh, spiders, oh, rats, no. you name it. I just, we just had so much fun. And I loved that there was this, I don't know. I feel like being a ship kid, you got to be a kid for longer, even as a teenager. Mm. There was just this like safe space to just be creative and have fun uh, and not try to prove anything to anyone. Of course, there's always that to a degree when you're a teenager, but I felt there was a lot more safety. Um, And so I enjoyed being a teenager. There was just all types of stories um, that we experienced, but one kind of random, but one I really enjoyed was during one of our sales my friends and I, we used to love the sails. We'd put our hammocks up on deck eight and we would have sleepovers and hang out and watch the dolphins. Um, all these things that looking back, I'm like, what did I, what kind of life did I live? And I was like, that's cool. But anyways, once when we were sailing from Tenerife to, I think it might've been Benin or Togo, we found these, what turned out to be really rare marine birds that got stuck on deck eight. They had been covered in oil and somehow landed on the ship looking for refuge and my friends and I stumbled upon them and we got to take the rest of the sail to clean them and attend to them and we found doctors and nurses who could help us like know what to do but it was cool because the the crew the adult crew really let it become our project and I felt like we were up there trying to give mercy to the little birds (laughs) we were like we're mercy ships so we'll help you and we got to help these birds until we released them and they flew away and that was a really powerful experience because again as a kid like you said you're looking for ways that you can be involved Mm. uh, and that you're a part of healing and restoration and bringing Mm. hope and so it's a it's a silly story but it also was very meaningful because animals are not often something we get to participate with on a metal giant metal ship (laughs) and so that was kind of cool that's just like an example of the all the creative things we would get up to as teenagers Mm. I, I didn't realize how unique these moments were until looking back until I was telling this story to someone casually at the hospital and they were like, where, where did you grow up? Like, what, what is this? And when we were on the African Mercy, it was very common to go through rough seas. Uh, and I remember at one point, because my bed was tipping so, you know, so drastically that I almost fell out of my bed and I heard a crash and my dad yelled like, all right, kids, like all hands on deck. We need your help. And I stumbled out of bed and our fridge was falling <laughs> oh down. Um, or we, and we, we know, like we grew up knowing how to like get your cabin prepared for sale. We tie everything down. That's the normal thing, but that's how rocky the seas were, where our plants oh were God. falling, our fridge was tipping. And so my family had to form this like human chain. And I remember it so clearly, my dad <laughs> holding the fridge and then he was holding my shoulder and I was holding on to my brother, Wesley, and my mom at her feet on the plants so that our cabin was being held together by our human chain. And it was one of those things as like a 16 year old, and was like, oh, this is inconvenient. And, and I got through <laughs> it and I went back to bed. I was like annoyed. But looking back, I thought, oh my gosh, like what an example 
physically, but also metaphorically of like what it was like to be a family, I mean, crew member, but also a family on the ship getting through literal storms, but also just the chaos of life. It's beautiful. It's messy. It can be chaotic. And I don't know, that's something I love about the ship is it, they taught you how to do it together. And Mm -hmm. I mentioned a story earlier where, you know, there was a, there was a fire on board when I was like eight in the engine room. And during a time where we should have been so scared and so afraid because we might, we were getting ready to abandon ship. Mm. I remember my dad carrying me into our mustering station and I sat down and they're doing the roll call. And I didn't feel afraid because I looked around and I saw a crew of people who were praying Mm. and who were, yeah, I mean, maybe not comfortable, but, (laughs) but God is there in the discomfort. And who knew no matter what the answer was, whether we leave this ship sinking and we go off in our lifeboats or a fire is put out, we're not going to be alone. We're going to be together and we're going to have a mightier God. And so that for me was just so inspiring. And so I feel like I now go into very critical situations today or high stress situations. And I, I am drawing from those experiences as a child. And again, those wonderful people who taught me to pray and to, to have faith. And so those are, those are two more. (laughs) Not your typical yeah. opportunities. No, not typical. Hmm. But I think your your second part of the question was like, what are the challenges? I don't know. I think the, the the main challenge that comes to mind is that there's just not a lot of teenagers. And so you're you're looking for maybe people you would relate to or people to hang out with. And there are some seasons where it's just you. And, and the positive is that, you know, it, t- it taught me to be very comfortable with people who are older than me, people who are sure. younger than me. But there was a lot, I felt like I didn't really recognize the challenges until I left the ship, in a sense, until I realized there are a lot of things that I was exposed to. If I think about the the depth of stories um, Mm. and wow, the the patience and the the things we saw and experienced as kids on the ship, we were enriched in one area, but some other things we weren't as well exposed to. So by the time I got to land, I realized there were quite a few gaps in my, in my social <laughs> awareness or just in like my cultural understanding of my own home country. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we didn't like practical things, like we didn't learn how to drive at 16, like just little things you wouldn't think about. And then you show up on land and I'm 18 or going to college and I've never driven a car, things like that. <laughs> Well, you know, that actually is a perfect lead in. My next question for you was, you know, when you left the ship to go to college, there must have been some major adjustments, things like you mentioned that you never learned (laughs) growing up on the ship or experienced. So aside from driving a car, what (laughs) what were some of those, you know, major transitions that you went through when you got on land, if you will, and, and went to college? Yes. Well, my favorite story to tell, which people don't believe, but this is 100% true. I remember my first week showing up at college, just like fresh off the boat. You literally <laughs> like, oh my gosh, there's so many people my age and I'm not used to that. Well, one, I, someone asked me within the first week if I wanted to go clubbing. And I remember <laughs> like, literally not knowing what that meant. And I thought it meant beating something with like a club. And so I was kind of concerned, like, why are you asking me to do this violent act? And I um, had to look it up. Like I Googled it on my first phone. I never had a phone either. And so yeah. I Googled it and thought it was like going to clubs. And I was like, I don't think I'm there yet. And so I turned them down. But there was just like so many moments like that where people would say things and I wouldn't know what they meant. And the other thing about being like a third culture kid on and a ship kid is that I, I look American and I sound American, 
So there's not really that I felt, I didn't feel like there was that natural grace or patience for my lack of cultural understanding when it came to American life, because it's like, you're American, your passport says you're American, you sound American, like just, you should know, you should know better. Right. Um, And I, but I didn't because I have the accent of my parents, but I much more related to West African culture, to ship culture, Mm -hmm. even international cultures that, that um, as a kid, like I had more people in my class from the UK or from South Africa or from other countries than my own country. And so, yeah, I felt there was, it took me a while to become comfortable being myself and not trying to become a chameleon, which is another thing. I think that third culture kids are good at, which is like, we'll just, we will just be what we need to be in this culture. And I think I tried to do that for a while and then realized, you know, no, that this is not who I am. I'm a ship kid and I can still be a ship kid even here in America. Right. Um, right. But it took, it took a while. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you mentioned third culture kid. That might be a term that most people don't really know what that means. Yeah. And it is actually a very interesting concept as I've learned (laughs) a little bit about it, but can you explain that to us? Yeah. As far as like, I understand it, it's someone who is from has a nationality that has been given to them in birth and by their, their family of origin, but they grow up in a culture that is not that culture mm-hmm. of origin and their their family's culture. And so they have this third culture that they're most familiar with, but they're also not from that country that they mm-hmm. that we uh, connect with the most. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of it kind of feels almost like this label of limbo. Like we <laughs> connect the most with this culture and yet like they don't maybe connect with us and then our own home culture we've never lived in. So mm-hmm. we connect with that by look and by accent, but nothing else. <laughs> Right. So that's that's a third culture kid. And at most ship kids are third culture kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I would think in some cases that could really pose an identity crisis and really a a struggle of finding yourself and what you belong to. What do you consider home? You know, I was actually just talking about this with someone at the hospital the other day, because that's something patients ask me all the time when I'm like, hi, I'm Chaplain Karis. I'm here to, you know, see how you're doing. And they're like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, so like, how <laughs> do I answer this without going into this two hour story you do not need to hear right now? <laughs> um, and so I have, I really consider the ship to be my home still. And what's interesting about that is that even though community is constantly, as you know, constantly rotating on the ship, like everyone I grew up with is probably maybe a few of them are still on the ship, but it's a completely different community. And yet I feel like it would still feel more like home to me than here because it's a group of people who value the same things I was taught to value and do value today, who are about the same things in the world, who have this mission of restoring shalom and sharing God's love and and being aware of what God is doing in this world and wanting to partner with him in that. Mm -hmm. And so I actually do feel like even when I just go and visit the ship and no, and it's a completely new community, I still feel at home there because it's people who are upholding those, those values and are about such wonderful things in the world. And so I think that home is less about, is less about geography for me now and more about mission. And there have been times where I have shown up in places that weren't mercy ships related, but were with groups of people who had a very similar vibe and I felt at home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that's beautiful because it is an incredible part of who you are now. It has formed who you are, and I'm sure it has allowed you to have 
compassion upon people who are maybe just moving into your city or just moving mm-hmm. into your town who've come from either a different state or a different country. People don't understand what it's like to be new in a place, but right. to have someone that can have compassion and understand other cultures, other countries, and just welcome them in and love on them. Yes. I, I'm really thankful for how the ship, I feel like in, did instill that desire to include, uh, to be constantly learning from other people and the cultures and background they bring. And, and I'm always, I just feel like my heart is so attuned to that at the hospital. Like I just am naturally so drawn to the people who feel out of place or are apologizing because they don't know English well enough. And I'm just like, there does not have to be uh, apologies or stress right now, because I, I feel at home with you and I hope you can feel that way with me too. And so mm. I am really thankful because, because the ship, the people on the ship are so, so good at, at caring for people who feel out of place or who have been taught to believe that they're out of place. So they don't have a place as my dad always says, they don't have a place at the table of the human race. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what we're trying to do is invite everyone to that table. And so I love that that's a part of my core mission in this world. Yeah. What a gift that you were raised with that as being, you know, a value. And now you Mm -hmm. get to share that gift with all the people that you serve and care for in the hospital. Yeah. I'm I'm thankful. Yeah. Well, Karis, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people come and go on the ship. It's rare that someone comes on board at six months old and stays until (laughs) they're 18. There were probably a lot of goodbyes in your growing up. Likewise, though, there are probably a lot of amazing people that you got to meet. Can you tell us? I know there's probably way too oh many, my. but maybe <laughs> not your favorite. I'm not going to ask for your number one, but just <laughs> who comes to mind as somebody that you met on the ship that really impacted you, whether that be a crew member or mm-hmm. I know you mentioned blessing in the yeah. hospital, but. Another facet mm-hmm. that we know about is there are people from all over the world that come serve on board. Was yeah. there was there a person that stands out to you as someone who really impacted you? Yeah. Well, as you said, a flood of names is just pouring <laughs> through my mind right now. I mean, so many incredible people. And it's hard. I just want to name every single one of them. But mm-hmm. I mean, my parents, there's there's so many so many leaders and teachers. And I, I think I will say a teacher though, because as someone who grew up on the ship, I, as a kid, mm-hmm. I really, really have such respect and, and thankfulness for teachers who come um, and provide a consistent presence, especially, I mean, there are some teachers who come for years and to be prioritized as a kid and not just feel like, well, our, like you said, our parents want to do the, do this work. And so we kind of set up this like side school so we can get you through it. Like, no, there is such intentionality yeah. in our school and it's a, it's a, it's a real deal. There are great mm-hmm. teachers. It's accredited. It's a really great school. As far back as I believe I was in first grade, I had a teacher named Miss Bev and I can still remember her and uh, the thing she taught me. And I, I, she was from South Africa and I just so valued her time how she would have us, um, we were all, you know, first graders, we get to go and sit in her cabin and have tea with her. And she mm-hmm. would tell us stories. She was the person I thank for teaching me create creativity, really, and telling stories and the art of telling stories and mm-hmm. using your imagination. And um, she was a teacher who was just so invested in the spiritual formation of her students, uh, not just teaching us information, but transforming how we saw ourselves and who we thought we could be in this world. She was very empowering. 
And even to this day, I have continued to be in touch with her. Once I met her in Jerusalem, we just happened to be there at the same time. And we got tea together, just like the old days. Um, And so she's one example, this like archetype almost of so many wonderful teachers that I had. But I I bring her up because I'm so thankful for the time and the seriousness in which she took her job. That she was she was there for an experience, of course, on the ship, but she also really, really saw that we kids, um, as you said, we didn't choose to be there. And so she helped us see that we were a part of that mission and why we were there and that we weren't just a side thought on the ship, but we were a part of that community. And she did that by valuing us and by giving us her time even outside of school. Wow. And so I love, I love her. <laughs> I will always love her. Shout out yeah. to Miss Bev. Bev, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karis, when you were on board and maybe, maybe it was earlier, but I think it was maybe your later teenage years, you started making videos, videos yeah. of the ship, videos of your adventures. Um, I think you called them vlogs. They're like video yeah. vlogs <laughs> yeah. and they have become widely popular, especially <laughs> amongst people who are considering going and serving on mercy ships. You have a large catalog of these videos that are very well-made, very whimsical and funny and fun, (laughs) but very informative. I know (laughs) that when we were considering going as a family, I have three children and they watched every single one of the Karis Parker videos. (laughs) And honored. it, it was incredible though. And they are incredible. So before we get into those a little bit more, everybody, you can check out Karis's uh, YouTube channel, Karis Parker, with all these incredible videos of Mercy Ships. But Karis, what prompted you to start making these videos? And tell us a little bit more about them. Yeah, well, I think there's two parts to that. Um, and again, shaped by the ship, of course, as a teenager, another thing that we did for fun was we made videos for the renowned Africa Mercy Film Festival, um, <laughs> pretty much up there with the the Oscars. But I don't know. I don't know why they haven't been discovered more. But yeah, we had these yearly film festivals. And as teenagers, that was really exciting. So I, that's where I first learned how to start editing videos. And I mean, they were, I hope no one ever has to watch them again because they were awful my first couple, but you know, you have to learn somewhere. And so I started making videos there. And so kind of developed this love for telling stories through film. Mm -hmm. And then it was when I was coming back to be a chaplain intern after college, I was talking to my parents and saying, well, maybe I'll do a blog to share my story with my supporters and whatnot. And it was my mom's idea, actually. She said, why don't you do a video blog because you've always enjoyed videos. And I also personally prefer processing out loud, Mm -hmm. uh, sharing out loud versus writing. It's much more natural for me and enjoyable for me. And so I was like, that is a great idea. And so Mm -hmm. it started out more as a personal video blog, as you said, but then quickly turned into these how-to videos and answering questions because I I guess I didn't expect to find a community on YouTube and online that was so interested in the day-to-day life of what it's like to be on a ship, as well as wanting to prepare for their own experience on the ship. And so it really quickly went from these personal videos to answering people's really good questions and requests for how-to videos. (laughs) Um, And so that, yeah, it just turned into that. And it was really fun. It was very unexpected for me. I had no idea that there would be such a response 
And I, yeah, I hope to keep making them one day if I go back. Sure. Well, they are an incredible resource. So if you get on YouTube, you can just type in Karis Parker and you will find all of these videos. The series of videos about Mercy Ships is called My Mercy Ships Adventure, but there are an incredible resource for people who really want to see an inside look of life on the ship. So I highly encourage everybody to go look. It's great, great content. Lots of fun (laughs) stuff. Karis, what are you most proud of having grown up on a ship? And what are you most Mm -hmm. thankful for that you've learned from your international life? Oh, man, so many things. I think, you know, you mentioned it before, how there are so many amazing people we get to meet on the ship. And I think what I'm most proud of, in a sense, is actually the chance to have been formed and shaped and mentored by such an array of diverse, brilliant, motivated, driven people. I mean, I even think back, my parents like to tell me the story of since I was just a toddler, like one years old, they would bring me down and let patients who were missing home, missing their own children, hold me and pass me around. And I think about the love that I received from these strangers, these patients who took care of me while my dad was doing rounds and, you know, checking on everyone and the trust that uh, I learned from them. And then I think growing up and all the people who took care of me as a child and then people who invested in my education, entrusting me with the opportunities to work on the ship or to to volunteer in different areas where there was need. I think of my parents. I think of just how, again, it is so unique to have that that quality of people Mm -hmm. and then getting to grow up around them and just have their values instilled in your own heart and life. And so I think I'm most proud and, and thankful to have been able to learn and to grow from that caliber of people. And when it comes to what I'm thankful for, international life, I I was reflecting on this the other day. And I think it's the the endless curiosity that it has mm-hmm. taught me to be endlessly curious, to be a lifelong learner, yeah. uh, to both appreciate the amazing diversity and the, the ethnicities and religions and backgrounds and all these things I got, got to learn uh, from. But also at the end of the day, despite all of the diversity I experienced, I also saw that at the end of the day, we are all human and we have the same core desires. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We want to know what our purpose is. We want to know where we belong. And all of these questions across all of these cultures I saw, I believe, find their answer in the same place, which is Mm -hmm. God, God's kingdom, God's community. And so... For me, it's just such a privilege to learn and to value and appreciate cultures and know that I am not always right. (laughs) Most Mm. often I'm not right. And yet at the same time, there is such unity across these cultures. If we look at those basic desires and those basic um, needs that we have as humans that want to belong and be loved by God and love others. And so I think that that is something I'm very thankful for. Yeah. You have gained such incredible wisdom the beautiful people that you got to grow up around. And Mm -hmm. I am so thrilled that now you are giving back and you're taking all that you learned and all of your experiences and their uniquenesses, and you are caring and loving and blessing others in your hospital chaplaincy work. And we wish you many blessings as you continue to love on other people and really continue to extend hope and healing to the people that you serve in the hospital. Karis, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your journey with us today. This has been an absolute privilege. Thank you, Rayanne, for having me. It's, it's a privilege to get to reflect on the richness of growing up on the ship. 
You can check out Karis's vlogs about life on board the Africa Mercy on her YouTube channel. Just search for Karis Parker. That's C-A-R-Y-S-P-A-R-K-E-R. Next week, nurse Kara Stafford is sharing with us about her first medical mission with Mercy Ships. Come back and be encouraged by what Kara has to share.